Ready? Born ready. Welcome to another episode of Where the Party At. If this is your first time, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can be notified whenever we drop new content. I'm your host, Saba Long. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I intended to make this episode like a little tapas bar episode where you got a little bit of nuggets, but I think instead this is really going to be like a meat and potatoes kind of thing. So... What has happened since last week? Uh, well, Atlanta United is in the playoffs. Unfortunately, we probably won't see a parade through the streets. The trophy won't make that second appearance at Magic City this year, but the team has done pretty good. It's been a tough season. A new coach. If you've never been to Atlanta United game, I promise it's one of the best sports experiences Atlanta has to offer. This is not an ad, but Atlanta United... Hit me up if you're listening. All right, so to the politics. Let's go right into the heavy stuff. Inflation. It is not your imagination. The data on the inflation numbers just came in, and good grief, inflation is real. (laughs) Consumer prices across the country are up 6.2%. What's worse, everything in Atlanta is costing way more than other cities, way more. So Bloomberg News reported that the October prices in Atlanta are up 7.9% compared to last year. That's more than double the rate in San Francisco. So we have the highest inflation in the country. Oh my God. Again from Bloomberg. Transportation costs are leading the way in Atlanta where residents pay 21% more expenses including fuel and vehicles, than they were a year ago. Atlanta also saw increases in the price of clothes, up 11%, as well as recreation and housing. Crazy. So over the weekend, I bought a $9 breakfast sandwich at some fancy coffee shop. I mean, this was just bread, greens, eggs, and cheese, right? And I could hear my mom's voice in the back of my head, like, girl, you have eggs at home. So... A $9 breakfast sandwich at a coffee shop. Inflation is a real thing. So normally in national campaigns, inflation is one of those issues that you would hear a lot. And I'm curious to see if it's going to make its way into the mayor's race and the runoff, right? The fact that Atlanta, we're spending way more on things than we were a year ago. Now has people's cost of, have their wages gone up? 21% 21% have they have their wages gone up 7 8% I'm guessing no so speaking of the Atlanta elections early voting kicks off this week for the runoff if you plan to vote absentee make sure you go request your ballot right now election day is Tuesday November 30th check out episode 5 of the podcast to hear my breakdown of the election and who's in the runoff So there have not been any independent polls in this runoff election, uh, but a lot has happened in this past week. So Andre Dickens and Felicia Moore, they've announced new endorsements. 
a lot of folks, some of those celebrity arts and culture types who supported Kasim Reed are now shifting over to Andre's campaign. Yep. And I talked to someone the other day who backed Kasim and they told me Felicia called him to ask for their support. Uh, so she's not leaving any stone unturned. She's not assuming that those folks are going to all break for Andre. Now, there is one issue that if it were not for crime, it would be the number one issue in this election. That is affordable housing. So what's considered affordable housing? According to the federal government, your housing costs should not be more than 30% of your monthly income. Now, I posted on Twitter the other day that urbanism Atlanta, these folks were kind of confused about who should vote, who they should vote for for mayor. On one hand, we have Andre, who has introduced a few versions of legislation to address affordable housing. He wants to see a policy called inclusionary zoning implemented citywide, uh, but that requires state approval. So the chances of that happening with a Republican-led legislator is pretty unlikely, right? Inclusionary zoning, this is just an urban planning concept that says Developers must construct a certain number of low to mid-income affordable housing units in new real estate developments. So the idea is if you do this citywide, it helps make sure that every neighborhood is accessible to folks, right? So they're not priced out of Buckhead. They're not priced out of Midtown. They're, the, all the neighborhoods in Atlanta are accessible. So on the other side, you've got Felicia. And she has ruffled some feathers around uh, the housing conversation lately. And she said, you know, all this new building and density is going to lead to gentrification. And some folks got really upset about that. But the reality is, if you talk to folks who were in Old Fourth Ward 10 years ago or Inman Park or any of these Beltline neighborhoods, that's exactly what they feel, right? More buildings were built more coffee shops, more people, and then boom, they weren't able to afford their house or their apartment. So I, you know, I get that folks were upset that she said that, but the reality is the people who were truly impacted feel that way. Now, Andre and Felicia have signed off on a housing bond uh, and they want to find a way to help legacy homeowners, right? Folks like Ms. Darden, who we talked about in last week's podcast. Uh, Dan Emmergluck, he's a housing researcher and professor at Georgia State University. He just told the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that he's not really seeing much of a difference between what Andre is trying to do and what Felicia is trying to do on affordable housing. So he says the real problem is that commercial properties aren't being taxed at their true value, which means the city is getting way less money than it should. Right. So there's a heavier focus on residential properties and not enough of a focus on commercial properties. Here's what Dan had to say. And this is a direct quote. He said, the city is kind of stuck in the 1980s politically. It's stuck in this mid-frame of a shrinking city that is desperate to get jobs. Yet the job creation the city is seeing is putting pressure on the housing market. Right. And we saw this when there was a debate about should Amazon come to Atlanta? We've seen this even more recently in the debate about what does Microsoft do with all the property that it has bought on the West side. All right. So no matter who the next mayor of Atlanta will be, 
the city's going to end up having some serious debate and conversations about what is built in the city, where is it built, and who is it built for. Now, in an AJC poll conducted before the November 2nd election, 62% of the people polled said the city of Atlanta is on the wrong track when it comes to affordable housing. That is huge. So if this is a topic that you care about, I encourage you to tune in to a conversation that the Atlanta Civic Circle and WABE 90.1, that's our local NPR station, they're going to have a conversation this Thursday, November 18th at 6 p.m. So it's going to be with two housing reporters, and then it'll be with Eugene Jones, who's the CEO of Atlanta Housing, a norm- formerly known as the Atlanta Housing Authority, uh, Sarah Kirsch, who's the head of the Atlanta Urban Land Institute, and Dr. Deidre Oakley, a professor at Georgia State. She has done a lot of research on the affordable housing conversation, including where do folks go when Atlanta tore down the projects to build the Olympic Village? So that's this Thursday, November 18th at 6 p.m. You can tune into the conversation via Facebook Live uh, on Atlanta Civic Circle or WAB News. So check the show notes to find the link uh, to view that conversation. All right, next, Gwinnett County. So the 2020 election brought a Democratic sweep to Gwinnett County. The county commission, the sheriff, all these county positions went from Republican to Democrat. And that pissed some folks off. So the Georgia General Assembly has been meeting this month to redraw the legislative maps. Now this happens every 10 years. And as a reminder, if folks were hounding you to make sure that you filled out your census, Hello, ma'am. I am a census taker with the U.S. Census Bureau. Oh, terrific. Good for you. Bye. This is why. Because they use that data to redraw the legislative maps. So, Clint Dixon, this is a name that you're going to hear me talk about a lot over the next couple minutes, he wanted to do something big. He dropped a bombshell in the legislature. Now, they were talking about maps, but he brought in some new legislation that would change Gwinnett's political structure. Who is Clint Dixon? He's a Republican state senator who was born in and lives in Gwinnett County. Last year, he won the election for that Senate seat uh, with 55.6% of the vote. The areas that he represents are Brazelton, uh, Sugarloaf, and Swanee, if you're familiar with Gwinnett. So Clint joined up with a Republican state rep, Chuck Efstration, He's another native Gwinnesian to introduce a bill that would make the Gwinnett County School Board nonpartisan and to change the county commission from five seats to nine seats. Why is this a big deal? The Gwinnett County delegation, so those are the state reps and the state senators who represent Gwinnett County, is majority Democrat. Clint and Chuck didn't say a word to the delegation that they were going to drop this legislation. They just, boom, dropped it. No courtesy, no heads up to the chair. So needless to say, Democrats were pissed. And here's what one of them said at a press conference this past Friday. State Rep Greg Kennard, who's a Democrat, said, 
For 200 years since our county's origin, we had nothing but white governmental leadership and we broke the color barrier in 2018 and really broke it in 2020. And now for certain white legislators to try to reverse those elections is nothing more, let's call it what it is, a white lash. It's a white lash. It's a white response to those elections that gave us elected officials of color. This, that's what Kennard said. So why did he say that? Nicole Love Hendrickson is the new chair of the county. She's young, she's Democrat, and she's black. The entire county commission is not, there are other races. They are black or other races, not white. So this bill changes the power structure for that chairperson, Nicole's role, right? Uh, uh, you know, this is one of those times where I have to interject as the regular people here, right? <laughs> okay. Did you just, so what you're saying is right now, Gwinnett, the whole board. The whole commission. The mm-hmm. whole commission. Non-white. Correct. All minority, so black or other races, non-white. And what's crazy is a few years ago, one of the county commissioners got into some crazy Facebook rant and he called Congressman John Lewis, who was alive at that time, he called him a racist pig. Congressman John (laughs) Lewis, which is, you know, utterly insane. And it sparked this really tough conversation in Gwinnett about who are the folks that represent us and what do they really think, right? And so for Gwinnett County to go from that So for Gwinnett County to go from that to an entirely minority county commission that are Democrats was was a huge shift, right? So this bill changes the power structure for the chairperson. So Nicole, who's this young black woman who's a Democrat, if this bill passes, she will only be able to vote in the case of a tie. Right, so she reduces some of her power. Now, a few years ago, Democrats called for the county commission to be increased, but by two seats. And that would put Gwinnett County in line with Fulton County, which has a seven-person commission, and they're both counties that have around a million people, right? So it would make sense to come in line with Fulton County. But the difference is back then, Democrats didn't propose any changes to the voting power of the chairperson, right? And so Republicans are, or Republicans are saying this county commission bill is just about giving people more representation, right? The county has grown, so the people should have more representation. Um, so I can understand that argument. The question I have is how many people actually live in unincorporated Gwinnett? My guess is that most folks actually live in cities in Gwinnett. So they do have representation at the city level. And this really reminds me of when the state legislator called for a special session to take place immediately after our last governor's race. So they thought that Stacey Abrams might end up being governor. And so they called this special session And the idea, the plan was to introduce bills that would really pull back her power if she were to win. Now, Republicans did this in North Carolina when the state flipped from a Republican governor to a Democrat. 
they introduced legislation that completely changed the power structure of the governor uh, so that Republicans were still able to maintain a sense of control and power in the state. I feel like this is kind of what's happening in Gwinnett. Gwinnett is a majority minority county. That means the majority of the population are minorities, Black, Asian, Latinos, et cetera, uh, not white. I think the white population in Gwinnett County is around 31%. So it's, it's pretty remarkable, right? The other part of this bill is the school board component. So Clinton Dixon, who I just talked to you about, he's one of many Republicans who are going all in on critical race theory and making critical race theory a big issue. So step one of his plan is to make the school board nonpartisan. But the reality is nonpartisan races are still partisan. They still have a partisan tilt underneath. Yeah, I was about to ask for the people out there, um, what does it mean for the school board to be partisan versus nonpartisan? Yeah, so that would just, the if this bill passes, what would happen is you don't run as a Republican or as a Democrat or a Green Party or any other party. You just run as the person, right? So Saba Long would just run for school board with no D or R or anything behind her name. Okay. But that's bad because, what, you won't be able to get funding from the parties or? No, you can. I mean, so if you look at what happened in Atlanta, Democrats made sure that Mary Norwood was not going to be mayor of Atlanta, even though Atlanta is a nonpartisan race. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mayor of Atlanta is not partisan. You don't register as a Republican or as a Dem. But the reality is partisanship is implied in electoral politics even when it's not, you don't actually file and run as one party person or another. Okay, and that's what I thought. So this move in Gwinnett, what would serve the purpose? So what's the... Um, but So the ne- the reason, this is just part one of two, right? So first, Clint's idea is let's make the school board nonpartisan. The next thing that he's going to do in next year, he's going to do this in the session which starts in January 2022, is ban critical race theory. So it's just part one of two, right? So the interesting thing is critical race theory is not taught in schools in Gwinnett County today. I, about to say, I know that. And so, but why would it need to be nonpartisan to ban? Because critical, critical race theory has become a partisan issue, right? So Republicans are saying one thing, Democrats are saying another, but... If you're not running as a Democrat or as a Republican, it might be harder to see, for folks to know exactly where you stand on an issue, mm-hmm. right? So you can present yourself, which is what, again, Mary Norwood as a prime example, you present yourself as, oh, I'm above politics. I'm not interested in what one party's done over another. You know, I voted for Obama. What does she say? I voted for Obama and Ross Perot or whoever else, right? Mm-hmm. And so you present as one thing, but your belief system is actually another. And so mm-hmm. it's like a veil, uh, I guess is probably the best way to I think of it as it's a veil to the voters so they don't really know what your true beliefs are. All right, gotcha. So why did Clint introduce this legislation? This whole critical race theory conversation is happening across the country. It's part of a concerted effort, and my favorite villain Steve Bannon is really behind this. 
Uh, Steve Bannon played a key part in the Trump campaign. He's my favorite villain because I think he's politically brilliant and Democrats just fall into his web time and time again. Here's what Steve said to Politico magazine earlier this year. Politico is basically like the gold standard of political reporting. And this is the Tea Party to the 10th power. This isn't Q, which is QAnon. This is mainstream suburban moms. And a lot of these people aren't Trump voters. I look at this and I say, hey, this is how we're going to win. I see 50 House Republican seats in 2022. Keep this up. I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on on this from Trump and Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida. People who are serious in 2024 and beyond are going to focus on it. And then on his podcast, Bannon says the path to save the nation is through the school boards. So this is a prime example of a national issue coming into the hyper-local sphere. So nationally, we're seeing recall elections happen for school boards, which has never happened before, at least not at this pace. We're seeing fights happening in school board meetings, teachers quitting or getting fired, all around critical race theory. So what we're seeing in Gwinnett County uh, in this legislation that Clint introduced is just the tip of the spear of what's going to happen in 2022. Now, there's a rule in politics. There's a rule in politics. When you're explaining, you're losing. So Democrats are trying to explain what critical race theory is, if it's actually even being taught, why it's not bad, all of that, right? Democrats are trying to explain it. At the same time, You have parents who know that their kids are behind because of the pandemic and they didn't get the education they needed. They don't feel like schools are doing a good enough job to make those kids prepared for the next grade. You got parents confused about masks. You got parents reluctant or confused about if they should vaccinate their kids or not. And then you're having this debate about what books should be read in school and is critical race theory happening. This is just all building up to a perfect storm of misinformation and mistrust that I think Republicans are going to be able to capitalize on. So that's what's going on in Gwinnett. It's, uh, there's, it's not done yet. There's still some more that's going to happen with the bills. We'll see exactly what passes. I was about to say, has it just been presented, not passed? It's, it's gone through uh, committees, but it hasn't been passed in the whole. So we'll see you know, exactly where it goes. And then, and to be clear for the people, so this is, the county is being represented by Democrats right now, but this bill has been presented by a state rep, who's the state rep from Gwinnett County, so. A state rep and a state senator, and then on uh, the. Both s- from Gwinnett. Both from Gwinnett. I mean, not, but representing Yeah, Gwinnett. they both represent Gwinnett, and then on the state senator side, the bill was co-sponsored by because none, the other state senators are Democrats and they would refuse to sponsor the legislation. Mm-hmm. So it's being sponsored by a Republican in another county. Mm. Okay. So right. that's also interesting. You're right. And I mean, this is really going to be I, the tip of the spear. So in right now, uh, this, this, the state, House and Senate is Republican. So this is something that could get passed. Yeah, re- yeah, there's Republican control of both chambers. So this is actually something that could get passed. Correct. And 
like I always ask, well, what can the people do to fight it? So <laughs> that's a tough one. I mean, you can, if you were in Gwinnett, uh, you can obviously email and call your county or your uh, state reps and state senators and tell them what you feel about this. You can also speak to your county commission and to your school board and, and share your thoughts with them if, if you approve of this or not. Um, and really just go from there. Uh, perhaps I'm not clear some of this might end up being on the ballot in 2022. Mm -hmm. So if they change, I think the school board part, if they change, um, or excuse me, the, if they change the, uh, the number of people on the county commission, I believe that will end up going to a referendum. And so there's an opportunity to pass or fail that. Okay. Okay. But what's important to remember about the referendum is, or about the uh, changing of the commission is, Democrats did say the commission should change. They should add two seats. Republicans are saying, let's add more, right? And let's change the power of the commission chair. Mm. Okay. Okay. Get it. (laughs) All right. Um, The last thing I'm going to leave you with is the... Ahmad Arbery murder trial. There's a major trial going on in Brunswick, Brunswick, Georgia. I'm not going to dwell on it because that's not really the focus of this podcast. But if you want to read a local perspective of what's going on, and let me say this, it's, this is not the Ahmad Arbery murder trial. This is the trial of Greg Michael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan. Those are the names that you should be sh- talking about and saying. Uh, So check out the current GA.org. If you want a local sense of what's actually happening in Glen County, they also have a really interesting story that they just released about police data in Glen County. And here's one stat that I thought was kind of interesting, not really surprising, but uh, it says 911 calls between 2018 and 2020 show that 77% of calls reporting suspicious persons, which is what happened in this case, came from majority white neighborhoods. And so it's really, a, it makes you think about what biases do you have as an individual where you make this call and then it, you're, then the police are looking for this particular type of person who's seen as a suspicious person, right? So it's just something to think about. Um, so I don't want to close on a depressing note because there's some good going on in the world. I'm going to let these kids from Recess Therapy, which is this adorable uh, YouTube and Instagram account that I came across, give you some hope about the state of our world. If you were president of the United States, what would you do? Well, for one, I'd probably work on uh, fixing climate change and uh, helping with pollution. I would uh, also... uh, I'll probably work on it, stopping it, like it, uh, racism and stuff like that. Wow. Do you feel like you feel the weight of the world? Well, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I just think about everything that's happening around here. How do you feel? Do you feel scared? No. Do you feel hopeful? Yes. So, my friend, if you were president, what would you do? Eat cupcakes every day. That That's what democracy is, right? If I was president, I'd eat cupcakes seven days a week. I feel like that's something you could probably do now. Yeah, it is.
That's cute. Uh, so thank you for tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At. Don't forget to rate the show and tell us what you loved about today's episode. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Again, if you live in the city of Atlanta, go request your absentee ballot. Make a plan to go vote. Election day is November 30th. Thank you. Thank you.